This is Coda Radio, episode 467 for May 23rd, 2022. Hello there, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of the software development in the worlds of the technologies. My name is Chris, and joining me every single of the weeks, it's our host, Mr. Dominics. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. How are you? I am so good this week. Are you kidding me? Actually, no. Actually, it's been a rough, it's been a rough weekend. You know, there's a lot going on right now. And it doesn't seem like the time to be spending money on things. But yet here I am getting my RV fixed up, which works out to be like, you know, five grand. And then, of course, I'm sitting there flossing my teeth. And I kid you not, not lying. I'm flossing my teeth Sunday evening. And a chunk of my front tooth comes out. And I, I have a hole in the back of my front tooth now. Oh, my Lord. I know. And it's it, I hate the feeling of it against my tongue. Sometimes when I'm breathing out, a little bit of air gets up in there against the nerve and it hurts like right now. And I don't have dental. I don't even have medical. So now I'm like, I'm not even kidding you. This is the life of a uh, independent small business person in America right now. Yeah. I'm like looking at dental offices in Mexico. And I'm like looking at flight prices. I believe you. Oof. Tell you what. It is. And it, ah, I don't, you know, like it's just, just things happen in life that you just don't plan. And business has to go on, no matter what else is going on. You know, you still got to get all that stuff done. It's been uh, it's been a week. I am planning to be near the border in September, which would be the perfect time to go to a dentist. Mm, true, but of course, this is May as we record this. I can't wait till September to address this. No, you got to you got to get it done because you know that'll spiral right. You get an infection, and then it'll be a root canal. It's good times, man. It's good times. You know, so that's my week. How are you? Things good over there in Florida? You know, Mondays, uh, rainy days and Mondays always are hectic for some reason. Well, Dan says, you know what? Make things easier by working from home. He writes in, working from home is the single best thing to happen to working people this century. Of course, it's expected because it ought to be expected. If you don't like the productivity results you get from an employee, you can fire them. You can also just ask an employee to be more commutative if you're unsatisfied with their performance. With all due respect, it's you guys being old man yelling at clouds. Oh, he just said Mike. Let's let's be clear. Yeah, but it's yeah, <laughs> I thought I'd help. <laughs> Are we just getting old yelling at clouds? You know, so it's funny. I was listening to the surprisingly handsome for his age, Scott Galloway, and he had the opposite take. He, he's pretty anti-work from home, but from the employee perspective, and he said something about getting promotions and being on the in crowd of your company that you just have to be there. And I was thinking about has over the pandemic, we've talked about sales, right? Doing, uh, in my case, technical sales, in your case, ad sales, that just being able to go to the conference and interact with people is is pretty valuable. I bet Galloway's right that it's it's the same. And I think it, this is interesting. So, Dan, I mean, you you are definitely in the popular opinion category. Um, let's see in five years if this trend continues, who are the people most likely to get on the executive track to get you know promoted and and things like that at these companies? Is it the work from home folks or the you know at least in halftime folks? Hmm. Yeah, and I bet it's going to also depend on companies if they're one hundred percent remote, like literally every employee is remote working from home. 
Or are they one of those hybrid setups where you've got like the admin office and the executive staff are coming in every single day? I have seen this become more common. And then I think you really have a situation where the people that are local have an advantage over the people that are remote. Just following up on the remote work stuff, I think it was what, Ian Goodfellow, the guy that left Apple, the machine learning guy, you see that he got snapped up by Alphabet? Well, duh, right. I mean, it just like Apple just let that one go all over this work from home policy. And now I'm sure Google's going to let that individual work from home. No problem. I'm sure it's part of the deal, right? I mean, that's got to be. <laughs> yeah. So, however, this all might not matter <laughs> because uh, the great realignment is happening. Yeah. Brandon writes in, hi, Chris and Mike. So the economic realignment, as you guys have put it, seems to be starting. My company just laid off 20% of its workforce. I'm fine. But I'm starting to wonder more about the drivers behind the current market conditions. Would you consider doing a show that details what's happening and how it's affecting the tech industry? I know this might be more of an unfiltered topic. I understand. I just was trying to better understand what's going on and how it's affecting me as a software engineer and our industry. Keep up the good work. Brandon. Ooh, can I do this one? This is like my favorite. Yeah. So it's called a zero to no or low to zero interest rate drunk Fed money. And if you read, I think it was Y Combinator put it out to their founders, their their letter warning about the future. What happened is a lot of capital just went to, they basically had to find yield, right? So they went to things like VC funds and all kinds of more speculative crap. Well, now the interest rates are going up. Those VCs are going to find it harder and harder to raise rounds, uh, which means by extension, startups will find it harder. It's going to become more expensive to borrow all kinds of money. But in tech specifically, you are going to see, and I'll stand by this one, a bloodbath of startups collapsing and laying folks off. Yeah, tech's going to take this one hard. Harder than most, I think, actually. Yes. And that wasn't the case in the 2008 recession. And so what Mike is saying is that when the Fed dropped the interest rates, they made the price of money to the banks essentially free. And so the way money gets created in the U.S. economy, in not this is a broad statement, it's not the only way, but one of the common ways money gets created in the U.S. economy is when, ba when banks loan it out. That money is created at that point. And so when the price for the banks is low, they're loaning out money like crazy. And the closer you are to that spigot, the more direct access you get to that cheap money. And then you need to put that somewhere. Risky assets like crypto and tech stocks have been where this stuff has gone and VCs. That's where this money went because it was great returns. You look at the returns over 2020 and 2021, it's brilliant. But now all of that is crashing back. It's all resetting. The stock in the, all these companies is taking a hit. Um, you've heard about the layoffs at Netflix. Amazon just announced they're going to lay off 100,000 workers. They also just announced they have 10 million, I guess it's square feet, I'm not sure, of uh, extra warehouse that they don't need anymore because the surge in buying during the pandemic has ended. And now they have a bunch of warehouse real estate they don't need. I just backed out of a, a, uh, an office space deal myself for that reason. I don't want the uh, liability on the books because landlords are very prone to sue. <laughs> so Yeah. And, it's, and things are just in general getting more expensive for everyone. All these companies are affected by the price of fuel, diesel in particular. So that's also an issue. Even if your company doesn't deal and ship things directly, it still works with companies that do. So there's uh, a lot less money being spent on risky assets now, which means tech companies are going to have a lot less money flowing into them. Of course, 
We're not going to see Apple or Amazon or Microsoft or Google fail. No, we're, we're talking about like the app to put a mustache on your snake. Yes, that's a Silicon Valley reference. And what is going on here is the Federal Reserve. I mean, I'm, I don't know S about F, but the Federal Reserve is on a mission to get inflation rates down. They're at a 40 year high right now. And the goal here, their mission, as they have stated publicly, is to get those rates down. They have a target of 2%, and the official numbers are like around 8% right now. And they're probably the real inflation rate is probably even higher than that. Yeah. They're never going to get it to 2%, but that's their goal. Yeah. But what that does is it makes you and me and Chris and everybody else listening de facto poorer. Because even though we might still make, I don't know what you make, whatever you make, let's call it 70000 your 70000 doesn't go as far as it used to because things went up 10 15%. They also kind of need the employment market to cool down because that cools down consumer demand and that will also help with inflation. Right, when you reduce demand, it also helps ease inflation. Now the thing that they're up against is there's also extremely high oil prices right now, which raises the base inflation rate, and there is also a very screwed up supply chain so it keeps things scarce. So even though they can reduce demand by cooling the market, they can't really compensate for the fact that the supply chain is still creating scarcity. So what we may end up into is a prolonged period of higher than they'd like inflation. And one of the ways they're going to combat that is they're going to drive down the price of assets, which has a knock-on effect in the tech industry in a big way. And they're going to do that until something breaks. Either the credit market's going to break or the oil market's going to break or something's going to break. And then once that thing breaks, they'll change course They'll probably either freeze the interest rates or promise to lower them in the future, and they'll probably turn the money printing back on, which also then will start flowing back into assets. And then the tech industry will begin to recover. I think it would be remiss if we don't mention that there is one giant, uh, literally donkey, who might try to encourage the Fed not to do what you described. Because historically, when the Fed does this, the party in power, this is all Americans, so sorry, European folks, gets eviscerated at the polls and we do have an election coming up and if the fed does what chris describes which they probably have to all these social issues that everybody's fighting about aren't going to matter the democrats are going to get eviscerated even your craziest sitting naked on an oil spigot republic did you see her no naked no. oh that's one hell of a campaign ad okay <laughs> you gotta look it up yeah yeah, yeah. her name is uh i might i'm mispronouncing it Stor- storm it's s-t-o-r-g-n I'm pretty sure if you just type naked Texas Republican candidate, you, you've got it. Although maybe not. Okay. All right. All right. I'm looking this up. I mean, your point is, though, that when there is an election, this is an election year, like, then that really is a wild card because as much as the Federal Reserve likes to claim it's not influenced by politics, it clearly is influenced by politics. Definitely is. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. We don't really know where this is going, but we know that the Federal Reserve is on a mission to curb inflation, and they're going to do that with the only few tools they have, and that is raising the rates, which has all these other knock-on effects, including cooling the employment situation. And you'll often see a, a swing from too many jobs are open to there's not enough jobs. And you'll see a sentiment switch in the public, too. And that tends to be a lagging indicator. And so this is going to go on for a little while because all the unemployment numbers are lagging indicators and the employment numbers are up. In April, new job postings fell by 2 million to 6.6 million, which is a huge deal because it's the largest monthly drop in the available history going all the way back to 2019. We haven't seen a bigger drop than this. 
So the trend is not our friend here, but we don't have the data. We only have April's data. But when we start getting more information, we'll realize that the job market is looking bad. That may be a signal to the Fed that they have to reverse course at that point. But it's a lagging indicator, so the damage will be done by the time they see the numbers. So that's going to be rough. And, our, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone when that happens. No, it's going to be bad. Yeah, the uh, bank of this is the last bit on it. Bank of America's Economist, which is only available to subscribers, but in the note they read that the Fed will be hard pressed to drive inflation down towards its two percent target without raising the unemployment rate meaningfully, which will in turn require a significant downshift in labor demand. So, in other words, the Fed wants a mild recession, not a depression, to hammer the labor market and short circuit the wage price spiral that seems to be in effect. That's the Fed's the Fed's. This is not me saying this is Bank of America saying the Fed's goal is to stop the increase in wages that's happening right now and to cause a little bit of unemployment, to hurt the employment market a little bit, to cool all that down, to help with inflation. That's because that's really one of the only levers they have. Right. They can't go to the Saudis and Russia and say, OK, let's rework this oil deal like they're not going to do that. Right. And we're not going to re-architect the way the U.S. sells oil to the world market. So we're not changing that. And we can't fix the supply chain and we can't stop China from from doing lockdowns and shutting down manu- uh, fac- factories over there. The Fed has no control over that. But yet it is the Fed's mandate to fix inflation. And these are the only levers they have are the rates and doing other policies that have an impact on the job market. And so they're pulling on the levers that they have. That's right. We do talk about this more in a broader context in the Bitcoin dad pod. I've mentioned that before. But it is sort of the thing that we would have covered in Unfiltered. We should maybe do an episode on it sometime. I think we're going to have to as we because two things that just the last point on it and we don't have it in the notes. The only thing that's not going down or that's really out of whack is the housing market, particularly the rental market. And you could Google this. Many financial blogs have written about it. I'm wondering if that is not a byproduct of work from home of people wanting to kind of upsize their living space because, geez, you have a six-year-old and you need a home office, right? Yeah, and you don't need to be in the city anymore. Why not go out and get a nicer home? I think that's definitely a factor. I think the other thing you can't escape, although I think it's slowed a little bit, is ginormous banks like BlackRock have been buying up homes like crazy, as as we've talked about. I think you'll see the housing market cool too, just because mortgage interest rates are shooting up right now. So that's going to happen. And people are getting tighter and tighter on funds. It is going to be a tricky time. And I think it's time to just embrace a community online that makes you happy, that maybe is a distraction from some of this, because I think having outlets is going to be a healthy thing. Like the Jupiter Broadcasting community is always there, happy to talk about technical stuff. There's our Telegram group. There's our Matrix server. There's going to be a meetup in London. The the details are still rough. But if you're in the area, anywhere near the area, Saturday, August 6th is what they're aiming for right now. The details will be at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. These things help. They really actually help. Uh, and I say this as somebody who is an introvert and fairly antisocial. I don't maintain like a large group of friends that I you know go hang out with on the weekends. I, I'm not one of those people. I don't I didn't even like going to conferences for the networking factor for the first 15 years I went to them. I resisted it. But uh, with age comes wisdom. And I've learned there is uh, something in our brains that uh, feels good when we talk to people with like-minded ideas about things that we don't normally get to talk to people about. 
And these meetups are great for that. So are our online communities. So for details on the London meetup, you go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Linode.com slash Coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting. You should really try it for your next project, or maybe just the next thing you want to learn. It's what we use for everything that we've put into production for the last couple of years, a little over a couple of years now. Linode has been rolling out upgrades continuously. They just took the wraps off of a managed database service, which is extremely appealing. They've also been rolling out upgrades to their disk systems. They have 11 data centers around the world. So if you're a performance hound, Linode's going to work great for you. But perhaps you just want something a little more straightforward. There's so many options out there for hosting, but nobody's been doing it for 19 years like Linode. They've really brought it all together with the best support in the business, one-click deployment of applications, and the best focus on all of these tools. The ones that they've decided to implement, they just have the absolute like laser focus style approach. They don't do a trillion different services like some of the big hyperscalers that want to lock you into their various services do. They focus on a core set of things and they do those really well. They make the best servers to run applications in the cloud. They have S3 compatible object storage, DDoS protection, VLAN support, a powerful DNS manager, Kubernetes and Terraform support, and so, so much more. All while the pricing is 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers and so much more straightforward and easy to use. And then they have a really clean API that's well-documented with tools and libraries that already exist that you can just start using. And if you ever run into any trouble, Linode support's got your back. And one of the things that I appreciate as a content creator in this space is Linode has been a big contributor to the community for a long time. I'm talking services and infrastructure for open source projects. I'm talking about Linux Fest. I'm talking about supporting independent media and tons of content creators in the technical space. And they've been um, really great to work with, too, for those creators, which matters as well. But I think what matters to you is they're dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing. If you can get it to run on Linux, it'll run great on Linode. So go get $100, support the show, and try it out. It's a great opportunity to try something, learn something, and then deploy it for yourself or for your business. Linode.com slash Coder. Python 3.11 brings the speed, just like Windows 3.11 did. I know you're excited about this one. You were going on all morning about it. Well, I was, I was. I won't take up too much time here because I know not everybody's a Python uh, Easter. But yeah, so 3.11 compared to 3.10.3.9 is up to 60% faster. And just like all statistics, depends, right? <laughs> yeah. But still, overall performance improvements. And I will say the Python 3 track, particularly the last few, they have not really made any, at least any that hit me and any of that I've really heard about, breaking changes. So if you're already running a 3.8, 3.9, when 3.11, you know, becomes production ready, because it's, it's still in beta, I would strongly consider taking that bump. And I know you have your wheels that will need to be reinstalled and blah, blah, blah. But it's a freebie. And that there's so rarely freebies. Yeah. If you want more details, I included in the show notes what's in which Python, which is a very strange title. Basically, it gives you the you know, kind of bullet point features that have come out in the last few point releases of Python 3. This is great. This is just like, here's like the four or five things you need to know about that Python release. Yep. Here's their target release date. That's awesome. So we may not actually see the stable version of 3.11 until October. October, yeah. 
all right, but 10 to 60% faster than just the previous minor release. Yeah, let's do more of that. <laughs> and Rito, right? The, the Vaughn, I can't even say it. The guy who created Python is now working at Microsoft and they're working on a, on a JIT for Python, a just-in-time uh, beautiful compiler thing. Or I guess it would be an interpreter. But if that actually comes out and is not like weirdly tied into Azure, that will offer additional significant performance increases because we all know that they make fun of us snakes for being super, super slow. Mm, that's true. I have heard that before. Yeah, which, which we are. So. It's, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Well, it may have hit some of us like a steam train this week, but HP has announced a developer-focused laptop called the Dev1. It's a Ryzen-based 8-core system. 16 gigs of RAM by stock config, one terabyte of PCIe NVMe M.2 storage, a 14-inch anti-glare display, and Pop! OS pre-installed. System76 is Pop! OS pre-installed on an HP Ryzen box. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts I have here, but from just a pure machine standpoint, we don't know a lot. But it does check a few of those boxes. AMD graphics and Ryzen CPU in a portable laptop that comes pre-installed with Linux does sound kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't tell from the photos if it's plastic or metal or some sort of uh, aluminum, as they call it in Cupertino. But I, I'm i interested. I mean, there was a couple things. I, so you had to dig deep into the Pop! OS Reddit to get some details from some of the S76 folks. So yeah, it is configurable. You're not stuck at 16 gigs of RAM, although it seems like HP is promising if you buy the stock config, they ship in like two days, which is, wow. That's nice. Boy, when you just need to get a rig quick, that's nice. Right. I, you know, I have some bacon. Oh, you do, huh? You do. So I don't know this for a fact. There's been no conversations, but I bet HP is jealously eyeing that Dell Sputnik business. What do they call it? Linux for developers now? For sure, yeah. Why not pick up an experienced, probably affordable Linux development house? You know, just do a quick, uh, quick, come on, guys, join us. You know, I'm a little surprised by this because you're right. This has totally got to be following the Sputnik strategy, which has been over 10 years, right? I mean, the Sputnik thing, Dell launched a long time ago. Then not too long ago, a couple of years ago, Lenovo launched the X1 line of laptops with Fedora pre-installed, which I have one right here next to me. Now, here we are in 2022, and HP is essentially following the same strategy. They call it the Dev1, D-E-V-1. Big, bold letters on the front page when you go to hpdev1.com. It says, built for developers. I mean, they're really going after that angle. And I think I think perhaps what's happened here is groups like Dell, Lenovo, and HP have identified that there is a savvy consumer they can target with this. And it's kind of like how Apple uses the pro moniker. Mm -hmm. They use the developer moniker, which and I think for them, the developer market encompasses DevOps, it encompasses actual development, sysadmins, and probably enthusiasts who who consider themselves, you know, um, higher skilled enthusiasts. I think that's who a dev is to them. And so they they've figured out that that's a pretty decent addressable size market you know, that's one that they can build a machine for and they can build one machine really well for that market. I think that's probably, you know, what we're seeing executed here. I'm kind of surprised it's happening now. But when you look at the supply chain situation, 
and the availability of hardware, maybe it's really a good sign that we have a big manufacturer in this space right now. That, you know, if they're talking like they could ship in two days, you know, Apple can't even touch that right now. No, Apple, I mean, if you look at a MacBook Pro, you're, you're waiting till like the end of June. So. so there could be some advantages for Linux users there. The ginormous elephant in the room, in my opinion, is why they went with Pop! OS and not stock Ubuntu. Because I have sat down and talked one-on-one with the creators of the Sputnik laptop, and they clearly knew that they needed to use stock Ubuntu because they had learned in a previous machine, which I had also bought, that when they do a modified version of Linux, the community doesn't like it. They want to replace it with their own distro. And the lesson that they learned in their very first Linux system that they ever sold, which was a tower, the lesson that they learned was that they need to ship stock Ubuntu. And that's what the development community wants is stock Ubuntu. But now, a decade later, HP's getting into this game. And they went with Pop which is based on Ubuntu, but it's not stock Ubuntu, which is, I think, um, an interesting choice. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, I think, you know, there's there's probably a couple things going on here, right? System76 writes their own, where they contribute to or whatever, that open core, open, uh, oh God, what's the name of the frame, firmware? I don't remember. I think you're thinking of open core. I think that's right. Is that right? Open core firmware. So I'm sure that's what's going on here. Also, I'm still frying my bacon, man. Like, you're not going to buy Canonical if you're HP. You're just not. But you probably could pick up System76 if this works out. Oh. And then Pop becomes exactly what you know what Carl and the gang wanted, a value add to Ubuntu, right, for their hardware. And if you're really going to go head-to-head with Sputnik, I'm still calling it that, I don't care, having a developer-focused distro on your developer-focused hardware doesn't sound that crazy to me. Real-time update. Core boot, thank you, chatroom. Core boot, thank you. So your bacon is that the long-term strategy is if this thing is a successful product... If it works, right. Let's not be wild. System76 is a American-based company that HP could just acqui-hire. Straight by, right. And they, and they become their Linux dev fancy division of the company. Man, that's pretty delicious bacon, I have to say. Unless, I mean, who knows what backroom deals are happening, right? But that seems like the most obvious reason they don't just slap Ubuntu on it themselves. So what we do know is that there does seem to be a relationship. This has been months in the working. Some System76 staff train some HP staff for support, and then System76 staff are still available as backup to those HP people. That's fascinating. But it clearly competes with System76's own hardware. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm not thinking about the corporate customer. I'm not sure. It could be a very clever, like a Fox, you know, crazy, like a Fox kind of strategy. Start selling, you know, their desktop, which I agree is, I think, I think it's well suited for a developer user. I actually think System76 has done a really good job at that. And wouldn't it be interesting if, if over time, you know, these deals with these OEMs became a, a bigger and bigger part of System76's business? because aren't they just the perfect consultant, I guess, to work with? Because they totally intimately understand the laptop customer market. Like they've, they've been doing it for 14 years. They've been selling hardware. And so they know what the needs of a hardware seller are from a support and the whole thing. So when HP goes to talk to System76, they know the whole game. They know how everything gets to, needs to be done. Like they're experts. That is something they could sell to all of these guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure support is a part of it for corporate contracts. I'm, I don't know, man. I'm still frying my bacon. If you're going to come this late to this market that Dell has basically owned, you know, at the scale HP's at, you probably need to control everything, and you need to, you need to bring them in. Yeah, the Sputnik line, that XPS line, is a sharp machine now. Although I think perhaps they've slided too far into the MacBook direction. They may have gone too far. I've been hearing complaints about the keyboard. I've been hearing complaints about the connectivity. I haven't tried one of the latest models. I haven't, I haven't tried one. Yeah. If this thing has a few I.O. ports and it's an all Ryzen system, that's a serious competitor to the Sputnik, in my opinion. I think that's, that's decent. I'd have to see one to know for sure, but I think that's reasonable in what I'm seeing. And, I, and one of the number one things I hear from the Linux Unplugged audience when they're looking for a laptop is they want an all AMD system. Which makes a ton of sense. It comes down to drivers. Yeah, which should get better for NVIDIA systems in a year or so. But it's going to take a while for that to get worked out. And so the and the AMD stuff's already upstream. It's already in the shipping kernels. If you go on an all AMD system right now, you're going to get a fully 3D accelerated system without ever having to mess with a driver, think about a driver, anything like that. So the Dev1 should be a solid machine. But would you buy one? I mean, am I going to buy one? Of course, right, probably. Let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Really? Okay. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if money wasn't tight, I would, because you know, I feel like right now, I don't know, with this tooth situation, I probably shouldn't. Uh, the, the one thing, I do want to know what it's made of. I do want to know more about the materials, because if it is, like, just super plasticky. The build quality, the battery life, these are the things that, the screen quality, because they say it's a FHD anti-glare display, which I think people are going to be happy it's anti-glare. would like to see that, too. But it's exciting to see another contender. And it's nice that they're not like pushing out System 76, right? Because they're getting a piece of the action. Whereas if they if HP would have just rolled into this segment and just gone stock Ubuntu, they could have, you know, not even involved System 76 at all. So I guess I kind of like that too. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash Coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. And of course, you can support the show by going to tailscale.com slash coder. Tailscale is a zero config VPN. It installs on any device in minutes. It'll manage your firewall rules. It'll work from anywhere. Devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption, building a mesh network with the best VPN security in the business. I think you'll be surprised how quickly you can create a great VPN. I used to deploy VPNs for my clients and it was so much more cumbersome. And the performance and the flexibility is nothing like you get with Tailscale. Tailscale is also how I keep all of my family's computers together on one LAN. So I can get into their systems and help them if they have a problem. I can do updates for them. And for me, one of the best parts is that every device gets a stable IP. So now I just have an IP for my Raspberry Pi at home. I have an IP for a VM I'm running here at the studio. I have an IP for the systems here. Each one of my systems in the studio has an IP. My office computer has an IP that are all on the Tailscale network on a flat wire guard LAN, essentially. And then you can do something like throw Pi-hole or a DNS server into that LAN, and you can do name resolution. They have a backplane that helps you get all this connected, and then you build the peer-to-peer -peer connections between your machines. And they have an ACL editor and sharing. So we can do things like I can share a machine with Alex, or Alex can share a VM with me that we're working on for self-hosted. And we can experiment with stuff. And he just, he, his VM is now on my LAN. And I just SSH into it like I'm SSHing into the box next to me. 
and you can transfer files. They have an AirDrop-like tool that lets you transfer files over Tailscale, so it makes that really nice for collaborating too. It's just great. And the fact that it's always on and it works with every OS and device I have makes it really accessible. It's like my go-to tool now. So you can go try it for yourself. Change the way you work, change the way you game, change the way you use your network. Go build your own decentralized internet for up to 20 machines for free when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. That supports the show and gets you over there and lets them know you heard about it here. Tailscale.com slash coder. Right once, run everywhere. It's back. Widgets for the future, children. Microsoft has announced adaptive cards. It's back to haunt me for all my Java applet sins. Yeah, but it's a new way to exchange rich information and data in a dynamic way that responds to screen size that fits any scenario. I just vomited in my mouth. It's an open framework for multiple platforms. iOS, Android, .NET. It's, it's JSON. Ready? All right, I'm going to read their little blurb. Okay. Adaptive cards are platform agnostic snippets of UI authored in JSON. This is my Microsoft voice, by the way. That apps and services can openly exchange. We deliver to us when delivered to a specific app. The JSON is transformed into native UI that automatically adapts to its surroundings. It helps design and integrate lightweight UI for all the major platforms because you bitches killed Windows Phone. <laughs> it's all about teams now, man. In fact, they're that's really they're just talking about how much is how great this is to work with teams. It's all gonna integrate great with teams. Well, let us not forget Windows timeline. The platform developers are clamoring for the world over. Also, uh, great news, they're gonna have support in Skype real soon. No no date yet, but real soon. It's gonna also be in Skype. Poor Skype. You know what? They they obviously love teams more. Right, like oh yeah, man, and and the uh, the framework that seduced me but went nowhere. Bot framework. So these really are widgets. They're widgets that are just JSON on the back end, and then what Microsoft is doing is just building an HTML render for these widgets into all of their different apps. And of course, they're just executing this around at the same time, but it's going to be showing up, you know, everywhere. Like you know how Microsoft could push this could end up. We could have adaptive cards on GitHub soon so they're they're more than that right so to their credit because someone rage looked through the github repo oh yeah well they are and this is like not nothing but it's basically a protocol you could say a json protocol that they have implemented native ui and all these platforms including html which i'm sure is the fallback right but like ios if you open the ios stuff there's some good old objective c in there <laughs> like it's there it, it's sure enough you've got header files i got m files like it's like holy crap i'm thinking did i go on a bender and like end up in redmond to just do this because i hate myself oh man look at this <laughs> this is a lot of what people are doing with things like angular right they're 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 just using html but they're like writing little components and then they're legoing them together to build a screen which is fine like there's nothing wrong with that but Microsoft is just like, let's kick it up a notch and for some reason do it natively. I really tried, Chris. Hand to God. Oh, my God. It's an NS string and a pointer. Hang on. I love this. I take it all back. And hey, man, they got Cortana skills for this thing, too. And you could put this in your Windows timeline so you could have it right there in your start menu. Wouldn't that be You know, I, I, I was just thinking my Windows timeline needs more love just this morning. Yeah. This would have been a super cool idea about like five to ten years ago. Problem is, and I don't know why Microsoft doesn't want to understand this, the web won, right? 
unless you're doing some real high performance uh, snazzy stuff, you're almost always better off at what we used to call HTML5, which is effectively just the web. Yeah. And yes, we all hate Electron, but you know what? I would care to wager that most of the actual developers in our audience run at least one, two, five Electron apps every day, all day. That's where they live. Yeah, I feel like Microsoft has been excited about this general broader idea since the 90s. This idea that you could have a Microsoft suite of applications that have this block of dynamically updated information. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been a passion of theirs, I, I'd say, since they started experimenting with widgets on Vista. And uh, they've just iterated on the idea, you know, in Metro UI, and they've iterated on the idea uh, several times. They had a big piece on it on one of their developer conferences, which this seems like an evolution of that idea. And they do it over and over and over again for each new era of suite of applications and a suite of tools. You do see a small amount of adoption in really Microsoft-focused shops, especially in new businesses that are run by former Microsoft employees. You'll you'll see them leverage the hell out of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And you'll go in there, and it's like this Microsoft wizardry shop of, you know, some idealized Microsoft world. But for 98%, 99% of the world, they're never going to take advantage of this stuff. But Microsoft continues, generation after generation, to churn these kind of ideas out. The one thing I will say, like, just going, having gone through some of the source code, again, I didn't, like, do a full code on it, but it's, like, really well-written Objective-C code. Well, there's that. <laughs> it has all of the, you know, compromises when you're writing a kind of a universal generic solution that you have to make. You know what? You've, you've kind of changed my mind a little bit. Yeah, if I was, like, the former program manager of Insert Dead Project here for Microsoft, Skype, Skype perhaps, <laughs> and I was opening my startup and I wanted to do some sort of, like, card chat GUI interface thing in, I guess, Teams and I'm apparently Outlook. I'm looking at the list of things they support. Yeah, Outlook, yep. This is actually kind of not crazy. It's widgets. It's it's just, it's like when you look at their samples and templates, it's the classic example widgets, image gallery, weather, large, weather, compact, weather, image, flight tracker, right? Calendar reminder and labels, order tracker, you know, for like shipping tracking, all the typical stuff that you always see with these things. They're like, okay, I guess that's kind of useful, but it always seems like we find some other solution for all these things. Oh my God. You know what this is? Hmm. Remember those old sites? I'm sure they still exist, but like if when you were making a WordPress site, you could buy somebody's crazy ass calendar widget and just plug it into the site. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what this is. Yeah. I mean, maybe not a horrible idea. Well, no, it, it falls apart though, right? It falls apart the minute you want to be in any other ecosystem. There's that. And it also, it just seems like these large companies don't stick with this stuff more than a few years. And so like, if you're going to build something around it, they only have focus for this kind of stuff for so long. And so that's why you'd rather just be an open standard, something that's maintained by some standards body. I also feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Google Wave for the fourth time. Um, but Maui, Project Maui, ever hear of Project Maui? Remember that? It was going to be a yes. big, big new thing and and that 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 uh, they're working on it. Right. That, I'm sure it's any day. Build is coming up, I believe. Oh, is it? So, yes. So saith with the heaviest of heart, Paul Therat, because he knows, he knows in his heart, there will be WSL news. 
<laughs> it does drive him crazy. You're oh my god, dude! You're right. It's like tomorrow as we record. It's like it's the yeah. I figured next week we could. Oh, that, I hate it when that happens. Yep. And then by the time people listen to this episode, Paul Throt will have <laughs> rendered his garments. <laughs> yeah, this episode will be coming out on the day like the the builds over. Well, yeah, that's just how the timing goes sometimes. That's because everybody does things on Tuesdays and we record on. I grant you, I don't follow Build closely. And why would you? But both Google I.O. and Microsoft Build really flew under my radar this year. Like, I knew about I.O. remotely, and I knew the day that Google I.O. was happening, it was happening. Build's tomorrow, I didn't even know it was going on. And this has never been the case. I've always known when Build is, because it's always been like this big local event. You know, and same with I.O. I don't, I've never, I've never missed an I.O., and I almost... Completely, this one almost passed right past, right by me. Well, there wasn't much of real interest in this IO for us. <laughs> yeah, well, they're all the old stuff they used to do, they're doing again. So it's going to be great this time. They have yet again rebranded messaging. <laughs> it's, it's what you do. Hey, let's do tablets again. Instead of just sticking with something and iterating on it for a decade, we completely gave up and we're going to start over from scratch again. Although I've written Clippy about 17,000 times, so I should probably shut up <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> no, so, so I think the things to look at for this build... One, Azure, 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 Azure. Some GitHub stuff, but GitHub still does its own like GitHub universe thing. So I'm not sure how much, you know, chocolate we'll get in the peanut butter. But uh, Maui, right? Like if Maui's not, or what they call it, when you, what they call it, they changed the name. It's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm calling it Maui. If that's not shipping anytime soon, what what's up, right? What, What's going on here? Let's get an update on that. Let's get an update out there. Yeah, and WSL. And, you if know, they don't say anything, that's a red flag for sure. That's a, yeah, that's, yeah. Boostagram. Well, BHH32 sent in 7,000 sats a day ago. He said, hey, guys, I want to let you know that I found a practical use for some crypto. I think we'd said we hadn't seen many practical uses. He said, I use BitPay to uh, use some Litecoin to pay for uh, food at a local bakery. Hmm. I guess it converts it on the fly. So he takes his crypto. And he, use, he loads it up with Litecoin, and it's converted to USD with no fees. And he's able to pay like it's a MasterCard debit card. The business doesn't know the difference. That's pretty cool. That's how my that he says I can mine those coins and then go to the bakery. <laughs> That's pretty neat. I think we're going to discover over this next year that there is crypto, and then there's Bitcoin. And there's all a bunch of scams and basically securities. In fact, Gensler just said such that most of these cryptos out there are securities because they're run by a group. They have a central founder. They're raising funds. They're securities. Bitcoin is property as designated by the IRS in 2014. There's a difference between those. And I think people are going to be figuring that out in a little bit. And, you know, there's there's when you have something that's a hard asset, like a property, you can do things like take a loan against that. You can use it as collateral for a loan. And so uh, it's not something you want to do in a down market. And it's probably something you'd want to talk to somebody about first. But in the past, you know, there was a month not too long ago where we were short a couple thousand dollars. And so I just took a loan uh, against my personal Bitcoin as collateral. I got instant access to that $2,000 that I wanted. I put more up, you know, I put I put a lot more up as collateral. That's how you do it. And I got immediate access to it. No credit check required because I had the hard asset as collateral. The money was transferred to my account as fast as ACH transfers allow. And we covered our costs, and then we paid that loan back uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, and you know we're good to go. There's a lot of ways we're going to discover when you have something that's a real hard asset like that, like Bitcoin, uh, you can use for those kinds of things. And it's even useful in the business sense. Boost. And we also got a double boost from BHH. So thank you, BH, for the double boost this week. 
Wooden 501 sent us a boost four days ago for a thousand sats. And he wanted to know if you got Hoovy vibes from that Google AR sound clip that we played. Did, he said it gave him, Wooden, straight up mental pictures of Gavin Belson sitting next to each of the speakers with cheesy manip- manipulative soundtrack going on in the background when real life becomes one parody to mount, you have to mock it. I agree. We felt it was kind of low rent and it did have a Silicon Valley vibe to it. That whole AR glasses thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's all you got. All right. Okay. Yeah, but it, it was weird. It was weird. They wanted to sell you the dream. It'll it'll be dead before it hits the sore shelves. You think so? I don't know if it, it will it ever even be a product. Google's burned me too many times as I wave at my lost companions. Four score and seven boosts to go. I think it's Rubicaman writes in, gave us a boost four days ago for 1701 sats. Trek fans will recognize that. He says, I love the Trek talk. I consider there to be three Trek eras, Toss, Animated, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. That's that's more than three. And then finally, Discovery and Picard, and then the other new ones. I enjoy all things Trek. There is a special place in my heart for the middle era. And speaking of Star Trek, have you guys heard of Expandable? Expendable, I'm sorry. By uh, an author that I can't pronounce, but it features the Doctor from Voyager and Tuvok from Voyager, and it tells a battle between a Stormtrooper and a Red Shirt. <laughs> that's great. No, but that's amazing, and I will definitely listen to that later. Have you caught Strange New Worlds? Have you given it a watch? No, I know. I, I got to give it a watch. I think you do. I'm saying as somebody who agrees with you on Picard and Discovery. All right. I think every episode of Strange New Worlds has been better than any of the Disco or Picard. I'm not saying it's they're not going to screw it up. You know, I'm skeptical. I mean, I realize it's the same team. Total faith. Yeah, faith of the heart, you might say. <laughs> Me and Rod Stewart and Captain Archer are just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Oh. The Golden Dragon boosted in uh, with uh, 1,111 sats four days ago. It's not just you, Chris. I can't plan more than two or three days in advance. I always fear I'll disappoint somebody. At least one person agreed with me that uh, I have a hard I have a hard time when people. It's happening. It's happening today. Somebody's asking me, "Hey, can we do such and such on Friday?" And I'm like, "Oh God, that's like four days away. Jeez, uh, I don't know what I'm doing in four days." Yeah, I think so. I think that'd be fine, but I'm not sure. We got some thank you boosts as well. Negatage, Carta Nerd, The Golden Dragon, and Freak all just sent us a thank you boost into the show or streamed some sats while they were listening in a new podcast app. You can send us a boost by getting a podcasting 2.0 compliant app at newpodcastapps.com. Also, you can become a member and support the show at coderqa.co. You get your quarterly report, which I think we're going to do one soon. We, we are old men, and we forget if we do them at the beginning of the quarters or the end of the quarters, but we get you a quarterly report, which is like a little extra episode, and you also get access to all the previous reports, and you become a member, and you get an ad-free version of the show. And it's just a nice way to keep us independent, make sure we can work with the people we want to work with. I, I almost considered one time reading all of the ridiculous pitches we get in every single week to the show for like... Hey, can we pay you to have this person on the show? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's there are times where it's nearly as many emails as we just get (laughs) as show feedback. What the members do and the boosters that what they do is they let us be picky. And so we work with the companies that we believe in that we want to work with. And uh, it gives us runway to do that. So you can become a member at coderqa.co. You can send us a boost with a new podcast app or you can support all the network shows at jupiter.party. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week? Go to tnb.inc slash careers if you are a Pythonista or enjoy Angular. 
and go to alice.dev if you would like to continue to overwhelm me with work. There you go. It's a good problem to have. Of course, you can find the show on the Twitters at Coda Radio Show. Our website is coder.show. It's coder.show slash 467 for our show notes. We have our subscribe page there and most importantly, our contact page. Your emails, your thoughts, your feedback, your ideas, even your pushback. We like it all at coder.show slash contact. That's about it. We'd love to have you join us live too, I suppose. Mondays, we do it at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. Always something cooking up over there, a bit more show. And we love having you live. It's great. And we just appreciate you sharing the show with somebody as well. That's a great way to support us. And of course, we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for joining us. See you right back here next week. 